everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrubbed In podcast. I hope you've all been keeping well. I'm super excited to tell you all we've managed to sit down um, and be able to have a conversation with Mr. Nav Kevil, who is a plastic um, surgeon and a reconstructive surgeon, not only working in the NHS, who has his own private practice in London and has an immense amount of work abroad. So thank you for joining us, Mr. Kevil. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. No, it's it's our pleasure. Um, there is a lot of to talk about, and as I mentioned, you have so many amazing accolades. But something that was a bit poignant and interesting, which was quite um, distinctive, and I want to talk about it, is you have this um, understanding of what you put out is what is kind of plastic surgery in its true um, essence form. And I was wondering if before we get started, if you can kind of tell us what plastic surgery is for you um, and we can kind of take it from there if that's all right so yeah i mean i guess um it's what i'd call the most general surgical specialty out there these days i mean in the in the old days before my time probably quite a bit before my time certainly before the ct scanner um, came out um i um i would have said the general surgeons were the general specialists and so they were the kind of people that you know, anyone in the hospital who didn't quite know what was going on with a patient of theirs, you know, like the medics had got a patient with a pyrexia of unknown origin. They're trying to work out, is it coming from the gut or the, the, the urinary tract or the chest or is it in the head or, you know, where could it all be coming from? And then maybe, you know, maybe it's in, in, in the in the belly maybe there's like a subphrenic abscess or something that inevitably what they would end up doing is they call the general surgeon to say would you mind having a look inside just see if there's anything you can find and um kind of the classic story is you know the general surgeons would take the patient they do a laparotomy they would kind of guddle around you put your hands in and around the belly have a feel to see if there's anything um if there was a subphrenic abscess or something like that you may not have no- you may not notice it but you would disrupt it and break it up and um and it would eventually kind of disperse and get absorbed and the patient would get better. Um, mm. and, and nowadays, you know, you don't quite have um, general surgeons who are general general surgeons. You know, you've got upper GI, yeah, colorectal, hepatobiliary, this, that and the other. Um, and the good thing about plastic surgery is it is really general and it's it's as specific and as general as you want to make it. Um, I've been lucky in that I've been able to keep it really general because at King's I'm a kind of everyone calls me surgeon. So today I've worked with the neurosurgeons. Um, you know, I, in fact, the cardiac surgeon called me as well today to say, could you go and have a look at this patient of ours? We want to operate on him tomorrow. What do you reckon? Um, and I won't go into details, obviously, because of confidentiality and all that kind of stuff. But um, and um, uh, and I'll work with the orthopods, I'll work with the colorectal surgeons, I'll work with the ped surgeons, um, the dermatologists will call me when they've got, you know, skin cancer that's a bit too big for them to manage, and so on and so on and so on. And and so for me, yeah, to answer your question, really, it is kind of the essence of general surgery and kind of holistic care as far as being a surgeon is concerned, which is what I really like. I don't, I, mm. I can't. I was having a conversation only yesterday with another plastic surgeon saying I don't like um, just doing the same thing over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. I, f- I find it boring. You know, that's one of my biggest fears is doing the same operation over and over again. And I find it a bit difficult to understand how 
even a hip surgeon could just do hip replacements or a cardiac surgeon just does bypasses. I'm being very general and very flippant here, but it seems like there's a real kind of constant basic operation that these surgeons do day in, day out. And then there's, you know, they're going to have their exciting cases and whatever. But actually with plastics, the great thing is it's almost a case of no two operations are the same. Yeah. And and so um, the fact that you can do that, the fact that it's it's portable, you know, when I travel around wherever, um, mm. all someone has to do is give me a pair of forceps, um, a blade and needle holder and a pair of scissors. And you can probably do most plastic surgery operations that way. Whereas, I don't know, for orthopedics, you need plates and screws and drills and this and that and the other. And it's it's amazing how how much orthopedic kit you have to take out there in order to do orthopedic surgery. Whereas my stuff is kind of almost, I could probably just put it in a little pencil case almost. Um, and, and um, uh, you could, it's, it's, and it kind of applies. So I'm going, I'm going on a bit too long here, but it kind of applies. Yeah. It's it sort of also, I guess it, it has this great way of, slotting in with everything else that goes on in medicine so there isn't really a single consultant in the hospital that i don't know in fact yeah come to think of it i also saw um an interventional radiologist today who was scanning a patient of mine and we were thinking of doing something together and um so i quickly ran up up to her ultrasound room and you know we, we did it did this scan together and we made a plan for this patient um so i'm the great thing is you are kind of mates with with everyone if you want to be um you can also be the opposite if you really want to be as well and and and, and, yeah. and there are there are lots of you know colleagues i can point to who are like that and are just a bit mm. you know grumpy and and, and and whatever you know i'm sure everyone we all know people like that yeah um, but the good thing about plastics is you really do have the opportunity to just be friends with everyone um you know it'll be a diabetic foot one day it'll be an abdominal hernia the next day it'll be you know working with a neurosurgeon fixing a, a, a wound after spinal surgery that's come mm-hmm. apart because of infection so in the nhs it's anything and everything you name it i'll be operating on that part of the body i don't i don't do it's easier to tell you what i don't do so there's lots of plastic surgery super specialist stuff that i don't do like i'm not a breast reconstruction surgeon anymore i used to be um, mm-hmm. i'm not a microsurgeon anymore i used to be which is you know working under the microscope joining tiny blood vessels together when you've taken a piece of tissue from one part of the body to another um i'm i don't do cleft or burns i don't do congenital complicated hands but i do kind of some limb trauma stuff i do as i said some abdo wall reconstruction chest wall reconstruction spinal wound reconstruction scalp head you know defects after neurosurgery mm-hmm. re- uh, that kind of stuff so in the nhs mm-hmm. it is totally varied and then if you go you know uh, uh, um, if i put on a, one of my other hats i kind of describe mm-hmm. all these different things i do as different hats yeah. Um, yeah. Which, which i'll also come on to because i think that's important um yeah so if, I, if we then go on to another hat that I wear, which is my private practice, yeah. that's actually really mostly cosmetic surgery, mm. um, I, which is actually I quite like the fact that it's so different from what I do in the NHS. A lot of surgeons will end up doing the same thing. You do a private hip replacement if you do NHS hip replacements. Yeah. I'm yeah. lucky in that it's not quite like that for me. Um, I get to do you know totally different stuff in the private sector it's cosmetic surgery and young fit healthy patients Mm. who are easy to look after whereas Mm. the nhs is fiddly 
different surgery and not necessarily the most straightforward patients so they can be a bit more of a challenge um, mm. a bit more of a headache a bit more stressful so for me private practice is doing the same stuff so i am very repetitive in what i do i do a lot of breast surgery so breast mm. augmentation reduction i do a lot of rhinoplasty surgery mm. um, i do some facial stuff and i do some of everything else that you can think of as well in cosmetic surgery um, uh, so yeah those in terms of cases yeah nhs very varied private practice very consistent really um yeah. perhaps not quite as challenging exciting whatever variable mm. um but fun nevertheless and, and actually it's quite nice to have the contrast yeah awesome no it's quite interesting i think especially with social media and the rise like a plastic surgeon is most often only seen as someone who kind of does you know lip fillers rhinoplasties and he's more cosmetic and i think a lot of people fail to realize that you are involved in a lot of cases especially in the sphere of nhs love you know cancer related surgery skin flaps and whatnot um whereas kind of to the layman it's like a plastic surgeon someone that kind of does you know your tummy tuck gives you a breast enlargement and whatnot um so it's quite interesting to know um yeah absolutely yeah. and i mean that's part of what i try and do on um on my social media um, and all of the kind of you know fora even like this where I'm trying to get the message across that we're not just you know boob job surgeons or, or nose job surgeons or facelift surgeons or tummy tucks or liposuction or whatever you know we, we we're plastic surgeons are what you'd call soft tissue surgeons um, in the same way that you would call an orthopedic surgeon a bone surgeon so it's not quite accurate you know um, uh, orthopedic surgeons aren't just bone surgeons they also do a lot of soft tissue work and 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 plastic surgeons aren't just soft tissue surgeons because we also do hand trauma and fix fractures in the in the hands we'll do you know all sorts of other stuff um and and i think it's important to really yeah for members of the public to realize that we aren't just cosmetic surgeons or cosmonauts as we sometimes call ourselves um <clears throat> we're not we, we we do yeah we do a lot of reconstructive stuff and actually you know, plastic surgery and cosmetic surgery, you know, it's all born out of um, wartime surgery. You know, um, all of plastic surgery is really derived from wartime surgery. So if you look at the history of plastic surgery, um, the two big names um, in in the UK anyway, you know, the Europeans have got their favourites, the Americans have got their favourite grandfathers and fathers of plastic surgery. But in the UK, we like to say it was Harold Gillies in the First World War um, who um, came over from uh, um, from New Zealand? Um, he was a Max Fax surgeon, I think, by training, if I'm not mistaken. I, I might have got that wrong. Actually, it might be ENT. Um, but anyway, he came over, and in the First World War, he was the 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 one surgeon that used to travel around the country looking after um, soldiers that had been injured in the trenches. Um, and these were people who had, you know, either been shot in the face because they stuck their head above, you know, just above the the, the parapet. Um, and, um, and and been shot, or they had you know frostbite injuries, um, gangrene, and things like that. And so he he was the person who um, devised what's called the tube pedicle flap, in, in its kind of current modern form, which is you know you, you cut a sort of rectangle of tissue out. You can now you keep it attached by one end, the short end, and then now you can move it like on an arc um, to another part of the body. To fill a defect there and then you stitch closed the original and then three weeks later you divide the fourth side of the rectangle if you see what i mean 
um, that Google it basically, Google tube pedicle flap and you'll see what I mean. And Google gillies and you'll see what I mean. There's loads of interesting old black and white photos. And then his cousin, who was a, a guy called Archibald McIndoe, became the sort of, I call Gillies the grandfather and I call Gillies the father of plastic surgery. Sorry, I call Gillies the grandfather, I call McIndoe the, 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 the father of plastic surgery. Um, and, he, and McIndoe was a surgeon in the Second World War. Um, and he looked after burns victims and because by then we'd got into um, air warfare, you know, uh, and, and fighter pilots who'd been, you know, burnt in their in their aircraft when, when it had been shot down or, or caught fire or whatever. Um, and he was he devised burn surgery. And, and it's it's that kind of stuff that led to what we now have as modern plastic surgery. So we're actually really derived from war surgeons. Um, and then the cosmetic surgery stuff has followed because it's all the same kind of principles, soft tissue handling, knowing how to you know, move bits from here to there in the body, um, knowing how to replace like with like when you've got something missing, um, respecting the tissues so that you don't damage the stuff as you move it from one part of the body to another, um, and knowing what you can get away with, knowing what you can't get away with. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's kind of what plastic surgery is. Would you say that plastic surgeons are the the Picasso of the surgical world? Would you say that? Would you um, agree with me? I, I think it's got the opportunity to be creative, I guess, is what I would say. Um, you know, I'm not a very artistic, you know, I'm not an artist and I don't paint and I don't sculpt and I'm not, a, you know, I'm a musician up to the point where I can connect a keyboard to a computer and I can plonk a few <laughs> keys on a keyboard and record it and then I can speed it up or, you know, and, and slow it down and cut and copy this. So I'm a fairly technical plastic surgeon in that sense. Mm. Um, you know, I, I prefer drawing with a ruler and a protractor and, and, and so <laughs> forth, you know, um, yeah. and, and as opposed to just freestyle. Um, mm which is interesting because actually a lot of surgery that I do, yes, I'll make measurements, but a lot of the stuff I do, I do end up doing freestyle. So maybe mm. I am drawing stuff without thinking about it, but give me a, a pen and paper and I can't draw Any. for, you know, to save my life. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes, we are. Art, it is a combination of art and science. And there are some amazing surgeons out there who really do, you know, um, make the most of that connection because they're both really good artists as well as really good surgeons. Um, you know, one of my very first bosses, a, a, um, a chap called Brian Morgan, he's an amazing painter. Um, and he's now, he looks after the um, uh, the museum at the Royal College. He's one of the people that curates, you know, the, the, the collection in, in the Hunterian Museum. And, um, and, and you know, he's, he's long retired. But, um, and he's an amazing musician. And he was an amazing oh, wow. surgeon when he was operating. So he's one of these kind of, you know, guys that you hate because he's so talented at everything. Um, <laughs> Whereas, you know, I, I don't think every plastic surgeon is like that. And especially these days, I think, and it is probably a shame, we have made, we've developed, we've grown um, very technical plastic surgeons. You know, the, yeah. the, the current field of plastic surgery is dominated, certainly reconstructive plastic surgery has been dominated really since the 80s. You know, you can even argue the late 70s. Um, by microsurgery you know people learned how to um to do kidney transplants and in fact the first kidney transplant was done by a plastic surgeon um oh, wow. and and by you know the small vessels being connected together because that's mm. that it needed that kind of level of skill 
Um, and since then, we've developed, you know, free flap surgery where you can take, you know, a piece of tissue from the thigh, still keep it mm. attached to a vein and an artery. You disconnect the vein and artery from, from the rest of the leg. And then you take it somewhere else and plumb in the vein and the artery into where mm. you want it, like, you know, the injured limb where there's a hole, an open fracture or something or, or whatever. Um, mm. Now, I, it, I think it's a bit of a shame in that we're just concentrating on that, which is a technically challenging operation. Um, mm. I don't necessarily think it's particularly artistically challenging because, you know, you, it, you, you, cut, you draw a circle around the defect like a template, um, the kind of stuff that you'd have done in nursery school. You draw around a template of a, of a cow and then now you've got the shape of a cow on your piece of paper and you colour it in. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's a bit like that with, with a lot of reconstructive surgery in that we've worked out how to do this technically challenging stuff really well. Um, yeah. And we just do it over and over and over again. And actually, that's one of the reasons I don't really do microsurgery these days mm. is because it was the same thing over and over and over again. And and it yeah, was really the challenge then became um, who can stitch the smaller and smaller and smaller vessels together. Yeah. It, that That's how the that, and it just ended up being a competition that I wasn't interested in. It really wasn't yeah. for me. And I, I yeah. and so for me, um, I just like the fact that, you know, you, you as I said today, one minute you're looking at something with a neurosurgeon, next thing you're doing something with a general surgeon or a, yeah. I can't remember who I've seen today, an interventional radiologist. So I quite like the fact that I'm flitting and floating around and having to think on my feet. Um, yeah. And I think in that, that in a way, we're, we're not so much, I, th I think plastic surgeons are not necessarily the most artistic. We, we possibly are, but we're also the most versatile. That whole versatility of a plastic surgeon, which you kind of highlighted today, it's you are able to work pretty much with every hospital specialty, but the fact that you have a translatable skill where, and which is what I want to talk about next is, you've kind of been abroad and done like aid trips of humanitarian aid in places like Gaza, and you were able to use your skills there in a whole different environment. And I want to kind of touch upon that, how it is to kind of go out there and do what you're doing there and the process behind yeah. doing so. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, um, Again, it's, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's, I quite like the fact that it was going back to, to my roots, as it were, in, in, yeah. in that it's war surgery. Mm. Um, and, uh, and that's really satisfying, actually. It's, I mean, I don't necessarily get involved in the whys and, and the, the, the wherefores of, of, you know, conflict. And uh, um, I don't really care about the politics of why they're at war. I don't really care about the religious side of things. Um, uh, I kind of go there just as this neutral person who can fix legs. Um, because that's what I was trained to do part of, and that's what, you know, um, I have, I have been doing in the NHS and so forth. Um, so I, um, I, I guess, yeah, I mean, I kind of ended up landing it by, by just, you know, by, by mistake almost. I kind of answered a text a bit too quickly when somebody asked me if I wanted to go out there and I didn't really think about it and I went, yeah, all right. And I think I, I've done a lot of that actually in my time. I just kind of think if something seems like it's a good idea, I was like, yeah, okay. Um, and then I kind of work out that wasn't necessarily the wisest thing to do and I should have probably stopped <laughs> and thought about it a little bit more. And um, so I ended up going there, you know, because I answered a text from a colleague who who I thought was in the UK, but actually it turned out she was in Gaza and, and she said, we need a surgeon, a plastic surgeon, can you come? And I went, yeah, all right. And then I Googled Gaza because I knew nothing about it really. Um, <laughs> and it and it turned out, you know, it was being shelled at the time, literally at the time when I'd said, yeah, all right. Um, and I kind of, you know, catch my pants a bit. And um, um, 
But actually, they then had a ceasefire, and I thought, okay, it sounds like it's probably all right. I went asking a few people who know about these things, and they said, yeah, it's probably okay. Just, just you know, be careful and and, and know which direction to run if you need to come home quickly. Yeah. Um, and um, and 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 actually, it was it's been fine since then. You know, I've been I don't know, I mean, certainly more than I reckon about fourteen times or something in the last six years. Um, wow. And it's all it, it's short. It, it's short trips we don't go for long long trips we, we it's only really five day trips at a time and i do that twice a year now i was going at one point every month because there's so much work to be done and i was able to wangle it so that i didn't compromise on any of the work at home because obviously you know, you're being paid to do a job at home and you can't can't um uh, um you know uh, be derelict um uh, you can't you know you can't abandon your your, your work at home you've still got obligations yeah. here um and, you know you've obviously got family obligations and you need to you know you need to feed the family send the kids to school and that kind of stuff um so i i end up going there and again you know it's really enjoyable work it's um it's really interesting just you know having to suddenly adapt to working in a different environment um the fact that it was gaza was more of a coincidence rather than me choosing to go there because I felt strongly about it or anything like that. It, it was where there was a need. I'd been a consultant for five years, I think, by then. That's right, 2009, 2014 is when I went. And I kind of thought, you know what, I've been doing this consultant thing now for a few years. I think I know what I'm doing, roughly speaking, when it comes to the basics. Um, and one of my favorite sayings is, you know, do the simple things well or do the ordinary things extraordinarily well. That, I put that, that slide up in every single talk I give. And I thought, you know what, I'm probably doing the basic stuff okay now. And so why don't I try and do some basic stuff to an okay level in a place like Gaza? Um, and actually, the, I, the only thing that was different about it was the location, as far as I was concerned. Um, you know, everything else could, in theory, be consistent. So one variable, and again, it's my really simple way of thinking, again, a bit naive and a bit a bit too simple, Um you know, an operating theatre in Gaza is not the same as an operating theatre in London. Um, mm. But I just thought, well, let me see if I can adapt to work in a, in a, in a different setting like that. And I and it was it was OK, actually, and it's been OK. And, and, okay. and we've been yeah. developing stuff as well. We've been, mm. um, you know, it's not just go there, operate on a patient, go home. And that that's a classic yeah. mistake, I think, that a lot of surgeons make. Um, you know, uh, as you guys grow up, and, and I don't know if you want to become surgeons. In fact, I'm guessing you do because of this is called Scrumpton, of course. Um, um, but as you grow up and become consultants, what I would urge you to do is don't just think about how can I do this operation. I mean, that that's a huge thing about becoming a surgeon is yeah. is, um, is is learning how to how to actually technically do the operation. So it's a bit like learning how to drive. Um, yeah. It's great. You can learn how to drive. You can pass your driving test. You've got your license. And now what? Okay, you know, it, it's not just okay. Now I just get in my car and I'm just going to drive. It's about you know when do you drive? Um, uh, what are you going to do if it's dark? Um, what if it's a really long drive? It's about maintaining your car and the MOT and the tax and the expenses and mm. and making sure you fill it up with petrol. All this kind of stuff that you don't necessarily get taught as part of your driving test. And the yeah. same thing is true with with medicine we, we you get taught how to do the surgery because that's in a way the easy bit to teach and in a way it's also the easy bit to do um mm. 
But what you don't learn, which I've now spent the last 10 years since becoming a consultant learning is all the other stuff about how to, you know, how to actually make the surgery happen, you know, how to ensure that the patients get to the operating theatre in an optimum fashion and in an organised fashion. And how do you prioritise, you know, this operation over that operation or how do you organize you know how do you how do you build a new service so you know we've been trying to set up a um an orthoplastic trauma service at king's you know now it's, it's been 10 years pretty much we're still not there but slowly we're getting there so um it, it was interesting it, it having started doing that in my first five years so getting back to your question going then going to gaza I was suddenly okay right now how do i how do i do the the operation here and actually that that turned out to be relatively simple provided you kept the operation simple um yeah. which we did um we did try and do complicated things again do simple things well um mm -hmm. and then f building on top of that it's like okay now how do we build a service how do we start yeah. teaching the local surgeons to do things what do we need in order for them to be able Continue. to yeah. be become self-sustainable mm. um and um uh and we've done that you know and we've also been training nurses been training physiotherapists been providing them with equipment um and um and so and it and then as a result we've we we seem to have attracted the attention of the government um which in Ga which in gaza is hamas by the way so we've you know i've sat down for dinner with hamas at some point mm. and we've talked about how to improve the um uh, uh, um, uh, uh, limb reconstruction services in Gaza and the health minister there has said okay what do you need and it appears mm. that they're interested in building a limb reconstruction center yeah, now so, yeah. um, and so it's so you know it's 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 and if we just stuck to go there operate on the patients go home which you yeah. do see a lot of actually um, when you yeah. go abroad um, it wouldn't have necessarily made that much of a difference and I think if you're going to start doing this stuff which you which you will do okay you, you know if you're going to become a surgeon it's not just about the surgery give me a knife give me a fork and i'll operate and then i'll go home mm. that's yeah. fine but it gets really boring after a while because it is the same you know over and over again but if you can mm. you know start thinking okay how can i you know how can i build a hospital or how can i yeah. you know build a new department or, or or how am i gonna transpose what i do in london to gaza or to wherever um it gets a lot more interesting and actually you start getting more and more new ideas and start thinking about different things and start you just you just keep i don't know growing and staying interested yeah. and it stays fun actually that's the other thing it's also it doesn't get boring um mm, that's the most and, and i think yeah. going back to your very first question i think actually that's where plastic surgery is really 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 good in that it's a specialty that's already head to toe so therefore your chances of getting bored are lower and then using that head to toe variation, you can then build upon all of those little piles, you know, your foot surgery pile, your chest surgery pile, your whatever surgery pile. And then you, you can suddenly grow lots of different little saplings, as it were. And, and then hopefully by the time you, you retire or die, a couple of them will have grown up into trees. <laughs> yeah, no, which is quite beautiful to see. I was going to say, you know from your instagram and kind of seeing and speaking to you you're someone that's really passionate and kind of wants to make a change in surgery and i remember reading you're quite keen in teaching the next generation when did you kind of realize you wanted to be a surgeon and in particular you wanted to be a plastic surgeon what moment in your career did you make that decision and how was it um i think i knew i wanted to be a surgeon even before i 
came to medical school or pretty much as soon as I arrived really because the first thing we did was dissection okay. and I really enjoyed working with my hands that was really good fun it was just really enjoyable and it's the kind of thing that you know I still remember really fondly and it was it's what stuck yeah. in my mind whereas you know the lectures certainly didn't strike me as being that interesting the the sort of lab experiments histology and physiology experiments were okay but actually cutting and and you know stitching and dissecting and whatever with your hands in the dissecting room was really good fun so that's when i decided to be a surgeon i think early on when i kind of decided to become a doctor probably just because i'm descended from doctors you know I'm, uh, allegedly i'm seventh generation straight down the line mm. I mean, my father was a doctor his grand his father my great-grandfather definitely you know they were they, those so i'm definitely number four um and um uh, my, some of my uncles told me that actually there were three generations before that who were, I don't know, medicine men or quacks or whatever you want to call it. So I think I couldn't really, maybe it's lack of imagination, but I decided I wanted to be a surgeon. Um, uh, uh, I decided I wanted to be a doctor really early on just because, I, I, you know, that's what my dad did or something. I think it was as simple as that. And my dad was a GP and he, I don't think, really ever enjoyed it truly. Um, I don't know. I mean, oh, that's the impression I got. He, <laughs> he, he never said he hated it, but I got the feeling he always wanted to be a surgeon. And so, and I used to see him not looking that happy quite often with what he was doing. It wasn't necessarily to do the work, to be honest. It was other circumstances and things that, which I won't necessarily go into. But you know, they made a few dodgy decisions in terms of me. I have, here, a, there I have this theory where I feel everyone secretly deep down wants to be a surgeon, but they. <laughs> Perhaps they want to pursue it or, you know, they have, you know, maybe it's a work-life balance or they might think all surgeons are just, you know, they have a certain personality type. But deep down, if you were to say, you know what, do you want to be a surgeon? I don't think they would say no. <laughs> it's just one of those secret things you never, you take to your grave. Yeah, I'm telling you, Mr. Yeah, and all the surgeons secretly want to be plastic surgeons, you see. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah, it probably I, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not, maybe, maybe. I'm not so sure about yeah, everyone no, wants to be a surgeon. I mean, perhaps, no. you know, it, yeah. it is really cool being a surgeon. I really do enjoy it, and, I, and it is fun. Um, yeah. In terms of, I mean, you know, me deciding to be a plastic surgeon was... Um, as I finished medical school, really, because you I don't know if you guys get to do this now, but when, in your final year, you could be the locum for the house officer when they went on holiday. And you, you got, you, yeah, you, you got to, to cover for them and you pretended you could pretend to be a doctor. You couldn't prescribe because you're not a doctor, um, but you could do a lot of other things. You're taking blood, you're putting the IV lines in, you're doing all the paperwork, ordering the blood tests, this, that and the other. Um, and you're being really closely supervised. So I did a week or two of being the plastic surgery locum house officer. And I, I really liked it. It was really good fun. And so I ended up applying for the actual job and I got it. Um, and I was working for, you know, the, the gentleman I mentioned, uh, Brian Morgan, um, who's the painter and the, the jazz musician. Um, and I worked for two other consultants, Mike Bruff, who sadly died a few years ago. And... Uh, Prof McGrowther, who um, um, who was one of the first chairs in plastic surgery, I think the first chair in the UK. So I was probably one of the first house officers to a professor in plastic surgery in the UK, I guess, as well, which um, which also kind of made me feel, you know, all, all important and all, all, all fancy and flash and whatever. And I, I really enjoyed that, enjoyed the job um, I mean, because, again, 
it just seemed really variable. It seemed really good fun. There was no set piece stuff. Um, and and you kind of looked at it, looked at what they were doing, and you thought, yeah, you know what, I might be able to do that one day. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I remember looking at, I don't know, open heart surgery and stuff, thinking I'll never be able to do this. You just have to be a certain type of personality who is yeah. totally focused on, on on what you do, and you almost have to be this machine, which I'm just not, um, and, and, and get on with, with the job in hand. I, I don't know. I mean, that's how it struck me. I don't think it is like that, because actually all these surgeons that I know around King's, mm-hmm. You know, um, um, a lot of them are incredibly normal, um, and 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 you know they're just really nice people that I get on with, uh, and so I, I think a lot of the stereotypes I'm mentioning are not true, but but you know you're you're led to believe these things and you buy into them to a certain degree, um, and so plastic surgery for me was yeah ex- from day one of being a doctor really, um, the house officer job in plastic surgery for those first few months was is still one of my favourite jobs actually I still. Yeah. You know, look back at that as being one of the best times as a doctor that I've ever had, um, mm-hmm. and um, uh, and I got really good feedback from the bosses, and they were really supportive, mm-hmm. and they kind of pushed me towards doing, you know, my next job eventually, and and it, and it kind of all came good in the end. I mean, I, I didn't rush, um, and I was old starting medical school anyway. I was all just about to turn twenty one when I started medical school. And then I did an integrated BSc, so I took an extra year anyway. And then I took ages. I was I was an SHO for five and a bit years, um, and then I was was a registrar for nine years or something. And so I qualified in 1995, and I became a consultant in 2009. So, oh, wow. yeah. it, in I still managed to take the scenic route as well, and and not necessarily rush and and you know focus, 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 which is what you guys are going to be forced to do. Yeah. Um, which I think is a real shame. I kind of got away with doing it, you know, the way I wanted. I've I've been really lucky in that I've always managed to do kind of almost exactly what I want um, when I want it. You know, I've been, it it sounds really spoilt or or, or selfish, Mm. but actually I I seem to have, I kind of, it's not like I went and said, I'm doing this and it doesn't matter who I, who's, you know, who I tread on or who I knock down on the way. It, It wasn't like that. It was more, I seem to wangle or just, you know, slowly navigate through um, taking longer than most people. You know, I was 40, uh, I can't remember how old I was, 41 or something when I became a yeah. consultant. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm about to turn 52. Um, mm. So, you know, I, I was relatively late in becoming a consultant these days. And, and there are colleagues of mine who became consultants in their early 30s. And these are plastic surgeons, you know, this is a long wow. training period. Um, yeah. And they, you know, they managed to, get through it in in a way i'm really glad i didn't do that and i'm really glad i took my time and i meandered around and Mm. and faffed about and did this that and the other and because actually that's kind of how i still live my consultant life as well now i still kind of you know meander around and i kind of something seems to come up that's a good idea um and i and i'll kind of okay let's focus on that let's let's spend a bit of time trying to make that happen um and i've got a few of those things on the go at the moment I guess that's what actually allows you to sort of live and love your job. So I feel like for a lot of us junior trainees now, we're all sort of, instead of getting to 
learn to love the job to genuinely become a good doctor we're also confined into the boxes in terms of make sure you get an audit make sure you've done 10 pieces of research make sure you've published it all and we're all we're all like race horses that are now sort of all running in one direction and just being trained yeah. to jump over yeah sort of you're, you're right and i think it's a real shame actually and what i would and I, i'm always trying to fight that actually i'm always trying to put you know go against the grain when it comes to all of that stuff when i encounter you guys i don't yeah. I, i'm not going to insist on on you know you do 10 audits it's like look what i usually you know people will come to me and say look have you got an interesting project and i'll usually go i can't think of anything but if i think of something i'll get in touch with mm -hmm. you um yeah and i i usually don't have a long list of people who who are asking me that question there's usually one or two people at any given time and then when an idea comes up i'll kind of go through my emails and 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 try and find who was it that last asked me for a project or something mm -hmm. um yeah. and um and then i'll you know reply back going what do you reckon about this and so you know most recently uh, yeah it might sound like a, a boring audit or whatever but actually it wasn't it was a you know we're, we're putting out a bunch of surveys on what did you do during lockdown you know to the medical students the junior doctors the plastic surgeons um and so forth and we've done all these different surveys and it's a really simple idea but it's interesting and you know what you could probably call it an audit um or some kind of research or whatever i can't quite remember the ins and outs of what we're asking and how we're studying it but you know you, you end up finding things that probably fill these boxes eventually um as long as you're not totally totally slacking and just not doing anything and just going to work and coming home having done your job which I, i did go through a bit of a phase of that as well when i was training um you can't afford to do that for too long you know you have to actually get on and 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 and, and you know, do some other extra not extracurricular but extracurricular work activities not just the job in hand you've got to do other stuff outside the job but but within medicine in order to fill in the boxes on your application forms and all that what i would say is yes it's a real shame that you guys are being treated like race horses which is a really good way of putting it actually you're being tried they're trying to make thoroughbreds out of every single one of you and and that's never going to succeed because every horse out there isn't going to be the next you know grand grand national winner um and I, actually what you want is to make decent um baseline basic plastic surgeons for example and i think in order to be a decent baseline basic whatever you want to call it plastic surgeon you don't need to be this super duper machine that has, that has done 10 audits and 10 research papers every five minutes you just need to be someone who's able to you know listen to patients um make a simple diagnosis show some empathy and caring you know um talk to the family communicate with your colleagues document what you do um and 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 so on you know and be consistent you just have to be a reliable workhorse rather than a racehorse um and and i think that's part of the problem is that we're just trying to push people a bit too high um every single minute of the day whereas that doesn't apply i think on certain days you know one of you can be really pushed to being you know doing what you do really well particularly well on that day and then the next day it's going to be somebody else doing something else because that's what they're good at um and so what what i would urge you guys to do because this will be after i'm retired because you'll be the bosses is to remember all that stuff and try and change it you know i'm i'm trying to change it from from my little place i'm not a big formal educator i'm not part of any big 
education system in medicine in the UK. You know, I I I do I give a couple of lectures, um, and that's about it. And I've got you know my students that I supervise. I've got a, a handful, but um, I think for those of you who do go on to become the educators, I think think about this stuff. Don't forget what it was like when you were a student. Um, don't forget what it was like when you were training, working your way up to consultant, because it's so easy to forget. The minute you stop being a student, you start thinking, oh, I'm the doctor, right? I'm, you know, and, and then you start looking down your nose at the students. I think that's when you've blown it, really. Um, and, and, and I think it's worth just all, never forget. As it, and I, I still remember, you know, how annoying it was that all I could do was get in the way when I was a student. And people are just shoving you out of the way. You know, that's all you're good for. You're not. And then suddenly I became a houseman and it was brilliant because I was useful because I could do blood tests. And, 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 you know, even if it was boring paperwork, at least I was doing something real. Um, and I kind and every time a student comes into my you know, operating theater or even even to this day, it's like, OK, come, come, come. You know, you're not in the way. Don't worry about it. Come here. Um, you can be useful. Just just come and do something. You know, just 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 hold this or or, or stand there and, 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 and count this or whatever. or Write this down on the board. Um, hmm. You know, I, I try not to forget the things that were, were rubbish when you were, you know, at different stages. Um, because you do, you forget all the rub all the bad stuff and you remember only the good stuff and, and we all go, yeah, yeah. you know, move on, rose tinted glasses and stuff. Try and remember the Definitely. stuff that, that was a problem and, and and actually try and put that right because that's how you'll change stuff. No, I definitely agree and I think it's sound advice. Um mm. and I think it's great the fact that when a medical student does come in, you you kind of get them involved, you get them to do something. And I remember being a medical student, I remember just kind of holding a clamp and some skin flaps or just was amazing mm. like i could do it for hours on end because yeah. i found it fascinating it was just to do something or be part of that experience yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly Cause, yeah because you know you're actually you know it might not be very much you may have just stood there like a sort of well-trained stick kind of thing holding this thing um uh, but actually you were one of the people that was treating that patient and making them better and 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 that's real you know yeah, and, and me actually, and Abdul you know, talked about the experience for like weeks on end. All we did was I held a suture in place whilst the general surgeon operated on the bowel, and Abdul uh, held a, a a tool in within the rectum, <laughs> and we we <laughs> talked about that for it, weeks. It's such an unsightly thing. Yeah. So yeah. inspired. But by I remember it, it till yeah. today because you. Know, <laughs> Uh, exactly yeah uh, you know and yeah. Uh, you know what D yeah remember that okay and, and, and when yeah. you're the surgeon and you're you know you're the big boss you know yeah. don't stand there going well in my day you know what i used to know the 50, <laughs> 50 the 50 million branches of the carotid and you know <laughs> there's loads of people out there going really you guys don't get taught properly you know you don't know you don't know you've yeah. been born and you've all got computers and you know you, you've heard yeah. it enough times you, you'll have had all of that and actually it, that's mainly because they've just forgotten what it was like you know they never knew yeah, that, yeah. that i think there were 72 branches of the carotid if i remember rightly but oh, wow. the reason i remember yeah. that i think is because someone shouted it at me because i couldn't <laughs> remember yeah. it was, you know whatever it was um and, and, and yeah don't be one of those people don't don't be that kind of doctor um be the kind of doctor that remembers what it was like and you know and and there's loads of stuff that was fun and actually one of the great things about being a medical student was the fact that you could go home at four o'clock and, yep. and you know just you know go and do yeah. whatever um and you and you get long holidays and 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 you know you'll never get that again so i generally uh, try again. not to keep students you know in the hospital for too late um, because they will they'll have the rest of their lives spending no. every waking hour and of day and night 
um, in the hospital. Um, so that, yeah, I think be the kind of doctor that does remember a bit of what it was like. And, and you know, I'm not saying you want to be one of these trendy kind of matey doctors who, who, who pretends to be one of the kids. It's, that's not, that doesn't, that just doesn't work when I try it. It just really looks really stupid. Um, but be one of the, just, just be someone who vaguely remembers what it was like. And yeah. I think actually you'll end up getting more from the students because they just engage a bit more. They seem to, yeah, I don't know. It just seems a bit more friendly, a bit more fun and a bit yeah. more productive, yeah, and I, think I think. Lovely. Yeah. And it creates a healthier culture. Um, this was, this is something I wanted to touch on. Um, and it was quite interesting. It's since we started doing the podcast, we kind of noticed a lot of non-medics kind of doing some of these cosmetic procedures. Um, I don't know to the extent of what they're doing, you know, stuff like fillers and enhancements. Um, and I kind of saw your post on it. I wanted to kind of know your opinion on the matter in terms of, do you think it is all right having non-medical professionals do these aesthetic procedures and this issue on social media where it seems a lot of things is about the beautification. Um, sometimes it may be necessary, sometimes not. And I want to kind of hear your stance on it. Someone that has dealt with it, you know, as a career. Yeah, so I, I, I'm relatively clear cut um, in my mind, I guess. Um, I, um, I think, you know, if you're not a doctor or a nurse, then you shouldn't be injecting someone. Okay, you know, um, I think full stop. It's, you know, you need to be trained to inject. Um, and you, in order to inject into the face, you know, so if you're giving Botox, that's a drug, number one. So, um you shouldn't be injecting a drug into a patient unless you are some sort of clinician okay so by that i mean a nurse or a doctor so that that's the baseline um and then you've got the situation in the uk where um fillers are classified as a medical device they're not classified as a drug um so they're classified the same as a breast implant for example or a hip replacement so in theory anybody can put a um, a hip replacement into a patient um, and, and it's you know it's legal as it were I mean it, you wouldn't be able to get into an operating theatre to actually do the operation and you probably wouldn't be able to actually technically do it but when it comes to a filler um, people think oh it's really easy and they just stick a needle into someone's <laughs> lips and they just inject it and you get all these disasters yeah. and so in theory you know you're, you're, I, I've been on somewhere on, on TV saying you know your plumber can inject you with filler that, that's legal um, and I think that that's a disaster, and we do see disasters and constantly. You know, we've got problems from non from people who just don't know yeah. what they're doing, having a go, and and you know they've got and then so yeah. So I think there's that that that's the baseline. Then you've got doctors who are doing stuff that they're not necessarily trained mm. in. Okay, so I don't know what stage of training you guys are at, but I suspect you know you wouldn't be able to do a breast augmentation no. okay oh, no, no. i don't know if you're Definitely even surgically not. qualified no. yet if you've got mrcs yeah. so even if yeah. you've got so even if you've got baseline mrcs um which i got in 2000 again slow you know compared to a lot mm -hmm. um after qualifying five years later even at that point i was not you know trained to, uh, you know i'm a surgeon in in, in yeah. theory i'm a mister yeah. mm -hmm. at that stage but i i still can't really do any operating and so i then spent the next eight nine years mm. learning how to do various operations and then i emerged able to able to do them um you've got people who get their mrcs who don't subspecialize 
who then start having a go doing yeah. things um, and um, and set themselves up as cosmetic surgeons. They don't call themselves no. plastic surgeons, they call themselves cosmetic surgeons or consultant cosmetic surgeons or, or consultant aestheticians or, or yeah. whatever. Um, and none of that is, is illegal, which is again ridiculous in mm. this country. Um, but they don't know what they're doing necessarily. They've again been on a course or they've watched yeah. someone do it they've assisted or, or they've had a go or someone's shown them how to do it um and and that's not enough now there are a few that and then this has been running for years and years and years in this country and we've we've got the situation now where there are actually quite a few non-surgeons yeah. who do surgery and they do that do it really really well because they've been doing it for long enough now they're the exception mm -hmm. i think now you know, you can't dismiss them altogether because they are very good at what they do. They, they, they you know, they look after their patients mm -hmm. really well. They do a very good job. Um, and I won't go into examples, but there's plenty of mm -hmm. them out there. Um, I think fundamentally that's dodgy and you can't rely on a system where, you know, the few people that get away with it and happen to be good at it get to carry on. Yeah. Um, you need a proper systematic training system. Mm -hmm. Then we get into the slightly more nuanced stuff. Mm -hmm. So should somebody who's been trained in breast surgery do breast aesthetic surgery? Mm. So should a breast surgeon who does breast cancer surgery in the main, that's what breast surgeons mm. do uh, in this country, should they be allowed to do breast implants yeah. for cosmetic reasons? Mm -hmm. I, I think that's probably all right. Yeah. yeah and I think, it, you know, um, I think, again, provided they've had the proper training, mm -hmm. um, provided they, they, you know, they end up coming out of the system knowing what mm. they're doing. Um, I think that's perfectly reasonable. And again, there are lots of very good breast surgeons who do breast cosmetic surgery. And I don't really have an issue with that, provided they are properly trained. Yeah, yeah. I have a real issue when they pretend to be plastic surgeons yeah. and some of them call themselves, you know, breast yeah. plastic surgeons or, or um, this and that plastic surgeons. Um, I do have a bit of an issue with that when it's not a real recognized specialty. Um, there are a few, you know, like ocular plastics is recognized as a specialty. So, mm. you know, fine, I don't have an issue with that. But there's lots of people out there who are general surgery trained, yeah. um, who, you know, have gone through the same rigorous training for the similar length of time that I did, but they've come out as general surgeons who now set themselves up as, um, as um, cosmetic surgeons. And they call themselves, you know, um, consultant cosmetic surgeons, which are or consultant plastic mm. surgeons, and, that, and I, I just object to them using the plastic, name plastic. Yeah. That's that's the main issue I have with with those surgeons. Provided they're trained, you know, you can be a max fact surgeon do, doing facelifts and rhinoplasties. You can be an ENT surgeon mm. doing rhinoplasty. Some of the best surgeons in the UK mm. who do rhinoplasty or ENT surgeons. I really don't have any issues with that, but don't call yourself the plastic surgeon because I spent years getting that title, um, and it's a bit annoying when someone just hijacks it. I, I don't go calling myself. I don't go around calling myself a gynecologist or an ENT surgeon or a max fact surgeon. So I, I, I don't expect the same return. So that's that's probably everything in a nutshell. I think I think surgeons should do yeah. surgery. I think doctors and nurses should do yeah. injecting and lasers and 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 yeah. things like that. Um, and I think. Yeah, no one other than a plastic surgeon should call themselves I, a plastic surgeon. I agree, surgeon. and it's, I think it's a sensible of doing it. I, I, I thought it was a shame when I was looking into it and kind of looking at the credentials and qualifications and you kind of see how some of them kind of started off in a, in a, in a weekend course somewhere and then they had a small clinic in the sitting room and now it's kind of 
sold as a fully fledged yeah, person. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. Luckily, um, yeah, and I mean, that, thankfully, that stuff is going. Yeah. I think sort of mm. slowly. Um, I mean, we we one of the possible advantages of Brexit. There aren't many. In fact, I can't think of any others personally. Um, one of the advantages could be that we don't have surgeons who can come into the UK very easily who are not necessarily trained as extensively as other surgeons in Europe you know we so we have there are countries in Europe who are part of the EU where you can have surgeons who are literally two three years out of medical school um, who could in theory and, and do end up on the specialist register for plastic surgery which is something that took me 1995 2005 15 years to do um and um and i think and, and that actually and, and you know the us is the same a lot of europe is the same but there are parts of europe where it's really really quick and you can just call yourself a plastic surgeon and we've had this reciprocal arrangement in the eu where you know you you have to recognize it so we are starting to i think as a result we'll now vet people in the same way that we vet people from any other part of the world. So if you're a doctor qualified in India, you go through a much more rigorous vetting process to, in order to get onto the specialist register. And you have to do a lot more work in order to get to that point than if you came straight from the EU, even if you just did two years out of medical school, um, because you happen to be on the specialist register in your country. Um, so that's probably, that, that'll that change, I guess, post Brexit. Um, uh, the sort of living room, um, kind of setup seems to be going the tupperware party botox party still happens a little bit but it's not quite as extensive or at least it's gone quiet and people now know not to talk about it so maybe um you know that still goes on but because we still do see problems um but hopefully i don't know it's taking forever and we just don't seem to want to just yeah. get on and do it um you know uh, uh, um, there are countries where only surgeons only plastic surgeons can do cosmetic surgery there are countries where only surgeons um uh or doctors uh, or or even there are countries where only plastic surgeons can give yeah. botox um we're not we're not one of those countries we've really tried to be as inclusive and as equal and as fair and i, I think that that's not necessarily done us any good yeah. do you do you think that the the financial gain of it is what's fueling it all. Say you haven't been trained with the right sort of ethics and morals that we're taught through medicine, as in when it comes, say, for example, you have the same patient returning for a certain particular operation. I think we would start to delve into their anxieties, their mental health side and see what else is going on. Whilst if, if they're not a doctor, I feel like the cycle of repetitive procedures constantly basically cashing in from the patient occurs. Um, do you think it's the financial gain that's yeah, really fueled no, all of this? I mean, no, it's it, it's absolutely to do with money. Yeah, of course. You know that that's why else would you know would anyone else try all this stuff out if they weren't going to make money from it? You know, it's risky. You know, this is this this is the kind of stuff that can kill people. Um, you know, um, it, it's kind of like a black market, isn't it? It's like you know bootleg um, CDs or, or DVDs or whatever. It's the same thing. It's just a fake version of, of the, of the real thing that's expensive. And, and, um, so, and people make a lot of money, you know, um, people who sell bootleg, well, used to sell bootleg CDs, they sold them for a, a pound each instead of 10 pounds each, but they would sell hundreds and they made loads of money. Um, and that's the, that's the same thing here is that, you know, people are, people are using cut price deals and selling things on the cheap using, 
you know, cheap filler that they buy on the internet from wherever in the world um, that's not yet. Uh, so no, it's totally to do with money. Um, and then coming on to the, um, the looking into, you know, patients' anxieties and, and psychological history and that kind of thing. That, that's pr it, it probably fair to say that even as plastic surgeons, we're not always that good at it. Um, you know, as the next person or as the next doctor anyway, um, because, you know, we do, you know, I've, I've been caught out where I haven't necessarily um, picked up that someone might have a hint of body dysmorphia um, and, and therefore they're coming back for more and more and more or they're asking for more and more or they've already had loads. Of, you know, they, they, they hide it from me. They go to other surgeons. They don't tell you what they've had done. They come to you um, and they're addicted to cosmetic surgery and body modification and whatever. Um, we're even as 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 you know fully trained plastic surgeons and fully accredited and certified and this that and the other we, we you know as, as a as a population of plastic surgeons we're not necessarily as good as we should be um i'm not sure how easy it is to be good at it to be honest i think i think it's a there's a lot of fluke involved in spotting these patients and we all get caught out um you're right that if you know all you care about is the money then you know you'll just operate on anyone you'll just do whatever and you'll just lose sight of 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 what really matters um i think that also happens to plastic surgeons on occasion you know you do see examples of people just just you know going a bit crazy um and uh, um and then you know burning out or whatever um uh, but and and yeah, so I think probably that might be being a little bit unfair, saying we're the best at spotting, you know, what's best for a patient. Um, I think lots of other doctors are really well qualified. Lots of nurses do it really well. Lots of, you know, civilians, as it were, do that do that sort of stuff really well. Um, you know, I get patients who come in um, with their parents who've insisted on coming in. I remember seeing this this youngish man in his 20s and both his parents turned up and I thought that was a bit weird. Um, and he was asking about something to do with his nose and he was quite clearly, you know, a bit over obsessed by his nose, which there was nothing wrong with it. And he was saying, but when I lie this way and I breathe in, it's funny. And when I lie that way and I breathe in, it's funny in that way. And it's like, look, that's, that's just normal. And you're probably just fixating on it. And honestly, your best option is to do nothing. And he was going, really, are you sure? There's got to be something you can do, doctor. And I went, no, really, I'm sitting here telling you don't do anything. At which point his parents piped up going, we're so glad you said that, doctor, because that's what we've been trying to tell him for years. Um, and, you know, we just thought he ought to hear it from somebody like you um, because somebody else may have told him something different. So I happen to be the person who told him no. Um, and, and, yeah, I think... Um, Yes, there is a bit of a risk if you're not properly trained in, in not spotting these things and just thinking, oh, what does it matter? And just getting a bit, you know, lo uh, um, kind of loose handed, as it were, or whatever you want to call it, just easy, just 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 chucking things out there, left, right and centre, just because, you know, you're going to make money because, you know, money drives a lot of us. You know, I, I wouldn't do this stuff for free. I do it because it earns me a living and it puts my kids through school and all that. Um, so, you know, we're all doing stuff for money. Let's not kid ourselves. Um, we, we, you know, we don't, this is not charity work that we're doing. Um, uh, um, but if you do, you know, no matter what you do, you've got to do it in a, in a, in an ethical way and in a, in a, in a half decent way. And, and, you know, we are at the end of the day risking some fairly serious damage to our patients if we don't do things properly. Um, you know, so, so yes, so I think, I think in that sense, being properly trained and properly qualified and spending ages getting to where you need to get to 
is a is a better guarantee Definitely. of that. I was going to say, which reminded me, do you ever have patients or individuals who kind of go through the procedures and then have kind of regret? Um, it, have you experienced that? Is that something that's quite common or? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it does happen and you try and prevent it, but you don't always because um, you never can quite you know, tell, you don't, you know, you don't know your patients as well, as well as you know yourself or, or your close family or, or, or whatever. Um, uh, yes, I've had patients who have regretted having something done. Um, I haven't had anyone who said, oh, can you just put them back to how they were, please? Because <laughs> that's not always yeah. possible. And, and so, so what you end up doing is you do say, look, this is a bit of a one-way street you're going down. And, and, and again, every decent surgeon will counsel and consent their patients properly saying you do realize that this is um that this is one way you're not gonna um you know you, you can't just go back to how it was i can't take the scars away they're permanent yeah. um and so forth and it's difficult to put back what i've cut out yeah. it's not that easy mm -hmm. so think think long and hard and 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 only do this if you're sure you really want to do it and so i do make my patients really think and, and actually to be fair the vast 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 majority of patients who come asking for cosmetic surgery um have thought about it yeah. for ages and ages and ages even relatively young people um and i'm seeing less and less thankfully of the i just want really big boobs because my mates have yeah. got them um, and I, you know, I want to have the biggest ones in, in my group of friends or something like that. that. That kind of stuff, I think, used to be an issue a few years ago. Um, certainly, I'm, it seems to be a lot less now in my career. Um, I don't think I'm seeing different patients particularly. I'm still seeing a very similar mix mm -hmm. and a very similar demographic. Um, but patients seem to be better um prepared somehow and they've done their homework a bit better they've done their research they've thought about it they've discussed it because it's not as taboo anymore to talk about cosmetic surgery with your mates and your parents and your family you don't have to hide it anymore um, uh, um and people i think are better informed because of what they see in the media and on social media actually i think i think you know people say social media is awful and it's you know responsible for so many you know turning these people into self-obsessed yeah. Uh, wannabes or whatever that, that I, I don't think that's true actually i think social media is, is really mm -hmm. good um and really useful i mean you just take this podcast for example okay this didn't exist i don't know five ten years ago this Definitely, kind of thing yeah. really wasn't a mm -hmm. thing and there's a whole population out there that hopefully will listen to what you know what we've been going on mm -hmm. about um and me rambling mm -hmm. and, <laughs> no, yeah. and so forth uh, but but they will hopefully just be a little bit there'll be a bit of food for thought and maybe some information that they take away thinking oh yeah that sounds interesting I'll, I'll, you know and and it just all adds up to when they then need to apply it and the same thing's true for for my patients you know um i try really hard to make my social media feed not just about advertising it's really easy and you see it all out there's loads out there if you yeah. look on instagram in particular when it comes to cosmetic surgery it's all about come come to mr cavale's you know practice he's the best um and he's got the most qualifications and he's written the most papers and he's you know trained the hardest and and the longest and and, and done the most it's not it's not like selling a car mm -hmm. It, it's a bit more about, you know, um, this is what plastic surgery involves. This is what, you know, this is the upside, this is the downside. Know the limits. It's not 
you know, like having the perfect body at the end of it. Um, you'll still be imperfect. You'll still be there'll still be things that bug you, but hopefully overall you'll just generally be happier with the way you are. And if you think that's right for you, then yeah, why not do it? You know, if you if you're willing to accept the risks and mm -hmm. you're willing, you can afford it, and you're willing to afford afford the downtime and all the rest of it. And actually, people do now turn up um, young, old, educated, not so educated, mm -hmm. whatever, um, reasonably well informed actually. Um, yeah. The impulse by cosmetic surgery patient is thankfully oh, less and less. And I think it's quite good having um, these new generation of consultants that are using social media and kind of putting out true information out there because I think it's a bit difficult. Um, and as you'd imagine, I don't think there are that many consultants using social media. Um, so it was quite refreshing to kind of see what you're doing. And, and it's like this is someone that's qualified, this is someone I trust and, you know, if I have a question, I'm happy to get in touch with him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think, I think, you know what, it's, it's kind of social media is here to stay. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a new form of communication, relatively new, new form. Um, it's not going away. And, and I, and, and I'm sure when the telephone was invented, you know, there were probably conversations going on about, you know what, you doctors that now use telephones <laughs> yeah. um, for booking yeah. appointments. It, isn't it great? Um, it's And I wish all doctors would do the same kind of thing what, that mm -hmm. you've just said. Um, and there were probably doctors going, oh, I'm not going to use that newfangled rubbish. Actually, you know, a good old fashioned pigeon is the way forward. That's how she's going to get in touch with me. You know, I, I, it, it, it probably was a bit like that back sure. then. Yeah. Um, and even when the when the fax machine was invented or the telegram or the the royal mail mm -hmm. was set up or whatever um you know i'm going to use a stone tablet yeah. <laughs> um there are always going to be luddites who who don't want to change but actually what ends up happening is everybody now has a telephone in True. their house you know mobile so phone remember yeah. i don't know if you guys are old enough to remember when mobile phones first came out people were going you know why do you need to be in touch all the time what's the point <laughs> um you know uh, i remember hearing all this and and, and even my friends you know taking the mickey out of me saying why do you want to because i was one of the first people out of my group of friends to buy mm -hmm. um a nokia banana phone oh, yeah. and um yeah. and yeah uh, um, i've still got it somewhere actually in the cupboard here <laughs> um and um and i just went you know but no it's a good thing because it means you know now my mum my, my mom can call me whenever she wants <laughs> and that's all that did happen yeah. for the first few years it was just my mum <laughs> but actually we've all we've all we've all adapted to it you know we've all we've all um you know it's now just normal it's like why you know why do you want to, people are getting rid of their landline you know mm. more and more mm. it, yeah. uh, and mobile phones have taken over mm. and in a way social media is taking over from you know advertising social media i don't spend any money on advertising mm -hmm. my practice yeah. it's just a total waste of money mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, so I'm not trying to put my, you know, an advert in a newspaper or a magazine or on the tube or anything like that. It's just to a total waste of money. Mm -hmm. It's much more worth my while concentrating my time and effort on Instagram, for example, and trying to show people who yeah. I am and what I'm about. And I'm an all right mm -hmm. guy. And I think I'm reasonably competent at what I do. Um, and people, I think, appreciate that more so i think social media is here to stay it's here to replace things like advertising it's here to replace things like um you know broadcast mm. news for example i get all my news now Twitter, from Twitter and, and <laughs> social media. Me, yeah. yeah um i don't watch the bbc news really i listen to the radio a bit mm. when i wake up it's my alarm but that's about it um and you know so yes uh, um and actually I, I think in in 10 years time you'll find that most surgeons are using social media yeah. one way or the other um 
and actually you know i i go around preaching it really you know i've got a whatsapp group of friends colleagues that that where we're all talking about how you know we use social mm -hmm. media and what do you think about this and is it you know is it a good mm -hmm. idea to do that um and 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 we are you know there are some older generation ish surgeons in that group there are some really new young consultants in the group as well i sit somewhere in the middle mm -hmm. i guess um and um and we're all you know just trying to hopefully boost people's interest and try and spread the word that this is a good thing um and you know when people realize that something like 50 percent of my private practice now comes from yeah. instagram you know they all suddenly sit yeah. up and pay attention because say, you know, yeah. it, it's it's totally i don't spend any it's it's totally free <laughs> um and you know and and actually it produces a really good quality patient who who you know who finds yeah. you through instagram yeah. um and generally speaking has has, has thought stuff mm -hmm. through so it does work it's 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 not quite there yet we do get some you know oddities or whatever mm -hmm. coming coming through the system but generally speaking you know we're, we're getting there um and i think um yeah it's it's there to stay and hopefully other people will, will, will catch yeah, on definitely. as well it's good i'm conscious of your time um i know you've taken the time out to speak to us i think it's been a great conversation it's good to kind of get an insight into plastic surgery Absolutely. kind of talk about the different things you do um as an established surgeon um a lot of fruitful conversation um but thank you um i think we covered a fair bit how do people reach out to you i'm more than happy to put the the, the links in the description um what is it yeah the, the simplest thing i would say is, is pro probably the easiest thing is is um um is just to you know ping me a yeah. message on instagram yeah. actually if i'm honest it's probably the easiest way rather than email because i, I get hundreds yeah. of emails a day i used to give my email out to everybody i'd actually say just just message send me a, a direct yeah. message on instagram and i'll get back to you eventually um or send a, an email through my website and um, it's all uh, uh, instagram is uh, um real plastics yeah. Um, that's my Instagram handle. I mean, dead yeah. easy to find. Um, and then the website is very similar, realplasticsurgery.co.uk. Yeah. You can um, you can find me on Definitely. there as well. We'll put all the links below as well for people to reach out to you. But thank you ever so much. Oh, and fantastic. Yeah. You're very welcome. No, it's been no, fun. Thank you. Thank